Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. We're going to pick it up there, then we're going to go in a few moments over to Nehemiah chapter 3. We won't be reading Nehemiah, but that we're going to be just there for a moment or two in Nehemiah, just so that we can uh, look at some of the text there in Nehemiah. And I just need to get there myself so that uh, uh, I can talk about some of the things out of Nehemiah. Let me just get a second here to get there. So Nehemiah, and I had said chapter 3. Let me get over there. There we go. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole body, or the whole building, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Father in heaven, we just ask that you would help us to understand what you are saying in your word when it comes to your body, your church. What does all this building together, what does this coming, the human, uh, the divine, the flesh, the eternal, what does it mean? Help us to understand it, we ask in your name, amen. I want to break that, that text down. The first part of that text there where it says, if we can go back up there and show that, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And then the next four verses are talking about how Christ came and he bridged the gap between humanity and divinity that we might be restored in relationship. We talked a lot about this morning to our creator. That we are restored in relationship to our creator. And he made way that possible through Christ who took on flesh, who bore our sins, our penalty, bringing us back sinlessly back to the Father who was able to do this. He, he was the only one capable of doing this. I was sharing again with the youth on, on Thursday. I was talking about that he is 100. When Jesus came, he was 100% divine and 100% human. And so the question is, well, how can you be both? How can you be both? How can God be also man? And we call that a phrase that he set aside his divine attributes to become flesh so that he might live as us, being able to bring before the Father our 
shortcoming, our failures, our mistakes, our sin, so that they were, the penalty was saved. The penalty was served in him. I used an illustration. There was, uh, uh, there's a large cathedral in Rome that is, is a beautiful cathedral. And the architect uh, is credited, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name, who was the architect behind this cathedral. And whenever the cathedral is mentioned, it's always, he's in mind. But he actually never laid one block. But he, he was the one who built it. So how can he build it and yet never laid a block? Because he was the architect. He was the one behind it. And the same picture is the one of how Christ came and he was divine. He accomplished everything. And yet he in the flesh was able to accomplish what it was to bring our sins before our Heavenly Father for forgiveness. That is the first part. But here's the part I want to sit on here today is the last half of what we just read in Ephesians 2 where it said, because of all that, and that's why I've taken a moment to talk about, because of what we just talked about, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. How many here, because some of you have citizenship in another country, and I think that's so amazing. How many here have citizenship in another country? Okay. Wow, look, that's cool. How many are citizens of Canada? And some have dual citizenship. Okay. You are fellow citizens. You are citizens in God's country when you come through Christ Jesus. That was the first few verses. Through Christ Jesus, he has bridged the gap. You are now citizens of Christ's nation. That's why we are called Christian. We're citizens of a nation. So I like... God is creator, but he is also savior. All, I don't know how many people are on this earth. How many people are on this earth? Seven billion, eight billion, seven plus billion? I, I don't know what the numbers are. They're big. That's really big. He's the creator to them all. But not all have received him as savior. That becomes a choice. The acknowledgement that we need our sins forgiven. Through faith, we become citizens of his kingdom. So he talks about here, we are citizens. That is by faith, through the blood of Christ. That Only through Christ can we do that. Not everyone does. But those who through Christ come into relationship with the Father. But then he says, so we are citizens through Christ. But it says here, we are also members of his household. So we are citizens of a country, all of us, citizens of a country. But, so I'm a citizen of Canada. I'm a member of the Lucas household. See how that works? You are citizens of God's eternal plan, but you are members of a local expression. You're members of a household. And... That expression here, but we have multiple expressions throughout our community. We are members of an expression built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. They set it in motion with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. He is always, it's not about us, it's not a denomination. It's about Christ, the cornerstone. I kind of like the name of the church here, don't you? Because it always acknowledges he's the cornerstone. It's nothing else shouldn't be anything else. In him, the whole building is joined together through Christ, rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Note this. And in him, you two are being built together to become, becoming a dwelling that lives together. I want you to get this. 
We are part of a citizenship through Christ Jesus. When you invite Christ to be your Lord and Savior, him as, him as Lord, Master, we bring our lives into submission to him. But then now we're members. We join with members of a local expression. We get involved. And in that, it says in the last verse, you are being built. It's a process. And it will keep happening until the day you die. You are growing in that local household. You're growing to be more and more a member of that household. You're developing, maturing, you're helping, you're assisting. It's, it's, a, it's an evolving process. Therefore, that last verse, verse 22, you two are being ongoing, built together, not individually, because if it's individually, you're not being built. Together, to become, to become something. And he says here, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He chooses to live in the context. That's why frequently groups, people together, not just individuals off by themselves, but in the context of a group together, God builds up. Here's the, here's the reality. I've, and it, it, it was a tough one to get a hold of, but it's also life liberating. And it's this. You can't do it alone. And you can't be built into this spirit life without the help of others. Yes, it's about them helping you, you learning from them, but they're going to develop in you what you can't develop in yourself. You know, we're all our own best friend in many ways, right? Like, we often look at ourselves, well, I haven't got any problems. You know how a person says, uh, uh, you know, you have an accent, and they say, no, 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 you have an accent. Well, you have an accent. No, you have an accent. Well, isn't that the truth? We, we all have accents. It all depends who you're talking to. We have an accent. The purpose here is that in growing together, I need that person in order to develop the fruit of the Spirit in me. How can I love if there's not somebody to challenge it? How can I have patience? <laughs> you know where we're going with this. If somebody isn't trying my patience. You know what we're saying? How can I exercise gentleness if I'm not facing some harshness? I need you to grow. Now, the thing is, I'll complain all day long, and we shouldn't. But I'll complain, and I won't like it. But it's absolutely necessary for me to grow. I need the 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 burliness of the situations around me to help me to grow. So, Paul is addressing this. We are, yes, we're part of a great citizenship. But where your growth will take place is the people around you. So, your household, you think it's crazy at times. It probably is. It's going to help you grow. The people you work with, you think they're all lunatics. They may be. But they're going to help you grow. You think the church has a lot of problems. And I'm just going to say it. We do. We do. But we're going to help you grow. Right? We need that for growth. Thus, it comes down to, and you are being built together to become, to become a spiritual dwelling place. And if everything was just perfect in your mind, it wouldn't be perfect. Because that's just in your mind. 
You need one another. Anyway, it's life. I could stop right there because as you dwell on that, you realize I'm a part of something pretty amazing. If I quit fighting it and learn and grow from it, then that will help me to be a person who lives by his spirit. So an illustration of this is our other text in Numbers, or sorry, Nehemiah chapter 3. And I'm not going to read out of Nehemiah chapter 3, except to say that Nehemiah chapter 3 is a fascinating passage. Um, what was happening in Nehemiah chapter 3 was the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, had been captured, taken into exile for 70 years. God had said they would come back to Jerusalem, and they did. They'd come back in different companies, and a group of them had come back into the city of Jerusalem. But the city of Jerusalem had been totally wiped out, had been torn down. The walls had been demolished. And back in those times that a city is secure only if the walls are secure. You are not an identity of people, and there's no safety, and there's no uh, where you're autonomous unless there's walls. You need walls. You need protection to keep in, to keep out. And so they began a process of building the walls. And Nehemiah chapter 3 is the building, well, all of Nehemiah is the building of the wall. Nehemiah is the governor. He's the one giving direction to the building of the wall. Now, chapter 3 is a chapter that for years I would skip over because it was a hard read. You know, those chapters that have a ton of names, again, I don't pronounce names very well. So I just kind of, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Let me get to chapter 4 because I don't have to have so many names So chapter 3 is about names. The the wall is two miles around. They're building this wall. And Nehemiah takes the time to talk about names. Chapter 3 is all about names. And I began, as I took a harder look, I began to realize chapter 3 was filled, was really throbbing with life and truth. So you go through chapter 3. It starts off verse 1. Eliashib, the high priest and his fellow priests, went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. There's 10 gates. This is chapter 3, verse 1. They dedicated it, set it door in place, building as far as the tower of the hundred, which they dedicated as far as the tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachur, son of Imri, built next to him. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassaniah, and then on and on it goes, big names. Again, I'm just name after name. Began to realize, so I I counted the names. I thought, wow, there's a lot of names in here. So, first of all, going through, it says, I marked in my Bible, and and I've, I've put a circle or a square around every time it used the word built, rebuilt, or repair. In one chapter, 41 times, rebuilt or repair is mentioned. Isn't that a bit overkill? Okay. 38 different leaders are mentioned by name from eight different vocational callings. Seven villages provide the volunteers with seven different rulers led by those communities. And they consisted of, and I began to write that down, they were goldsmiths, there were numerous family relationships cited, and they began to talk about brothers and sisters, fathers and daughters. So a dad and his daughter were out working on the wall. These are all the people building the wall. This is a big, massive concrete problem. And they're building this wall two miles around, 
41 times, rebuilt, repair, 38 leaders, eight different backgrounds. They had everybody. It wasn't just Mason people working on the walls. These were people of every background, people who were farmers came in and they were building. People who were weaving linen were out building the wall. They had everybody out there building the wall from seven villages. It wasn't just the people around Jerusalem. It was the people in the surrounding region, seven villages. And it wasn't just the men out working. It wasn't just the able men. It wasn't the experienced men. They had their little kids out there working. Praise God for the, you know, having your kids out building the wall, right? Now, most of us as dads, we don't want our kids building the wall because we see how they build. And we're like, that wall's going to fall down if they do much of the building. But it's interesting. The kids were involved with the dads and the families and the brothers and the sisters, and they're the wall, all around the wall being built. That's chapter 3. Now, I skipped over it for years until I slowed down one time and tried to figure out, God, you put it in there for a reason, and I need to figure this one out. I slowed it down, and I realized, I realized what I'm sharing here today. The only way the wall was rebuilt was by people allowing other people to help alongside them. It's the only way it was going to get rebuilt. It was God's plan. The heart of the text holds a call to open up to other people. And this is the very thing most of us fear. This is the very thing many of us fight against. Quietly, maybe not so quiet, but we struggle with that part of opening up to help to have others speak into my life and me into their life. And often we do it out of fear. Often there's been something gone wrong in times past. As an ancient Jerusalem, we are each surrounded by others to whom God is working out his plan. So here's the thing. I'm praying, God, work out your plan in my life. And as mom and dad brought their baby to the Lord this morning, they're in a community of people who will help raise her. That's why I pause and I step aside and look into the congregation because you're a part of it. And when my kids were in my home, the church that I was in helped raise them. For good and for bad. There were some bad moments. There were times my kids came home crying from times when they were either in youth or in church, something went wrong. A person, it wasn't the church, but it was some people. The church is consisting of people. And working through that would form their lives, prayerfully, in a healthy way. But it took some difficult times. It wasn't just all fun and games. It wasn't all just hooray, hooray. It was through all those times. And it would be easy to say, I'm simply going somewhere else where everybody is perfect. But as you all know, you can't find that place. Because <laughs> as soon as you get there, if they were perfect before you got there, just by you showing up now, they're not perfect. Hello? You just made them imperfect. They're not there. They don't exist. But by my recognition that there are brothers and sisters whose goal is the same as mine, more or less, who want to grow in God, who desire to be more Christ-like, who want to mature in the faith. That's their goal. That's my goal. So together, maybe we can help each other achieve that goal. And 
the building of the wall was a prime example. It was a literal example of what God was putting in place. The key text here is Nehemiah. If we went to the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 6, it says, So we rebuilt the wall until all of it reached half its height. For here it is, the people worked with all their heart. The people together worked. They committed with their heart. Can't just be with your head. Can't just be on occasion. No, I'm pouring my heart into this thing. I put my heart into it. In the process of rebuilding, we will find that our progress upward is proportionate to our openness outward. Our vertical growth in Christ cannot be disassociated from our horizontal growth with people around us. Think about the wall for a second. You can't just build one section of it and the rest not be there with you. It requires it all to go up together. You following with me? You watch people building on buildings still to this day. You see a brick wall going up. You can't just have a massive middle part go up and all the rest never been started. It's got to go up together. So that brick layer and that brick layer and that brick layer, they got to work together so it goes up together. They can't just, one, just be a hero and just build the thing by himself because now the thing falls apart because he needs to keep pace with the other brick layers. They need to keep pace with him. They got to figure this thing out together. So he can't go hoarding the mortar for himself and taking all the best bricks because the wall doesn't get built that way. It gets built based on They have to do it together. And so I come back to that expression. Our vertical growth in Christ cannot be disassociated from our horizontal growth with people around us. So as I'm growing with the Lord, I require the people around me to be growing too. And if I'm not pouring into the people around me, I'm not growing. Now, it doesn't mean I can't continue to grow, but I have to pour into that because I am not solo in this. The building goes up together. The community goes up together. So therefore, you see the importance of churches, local churches. Are they important? Absolutely. Absolutely. If we grasp this, we realize we need to pour our efforts into the local church. Not just because I'm not talking because I'm a pastor. I'm talking, isn't this biblical? That together, as we are building the wall of faith, I need to let you in. You got to let me in. We don't have to be best buddies. We don't have to go shopping together. and We don't have to go camping together. But we do need to be involved in each other's lives in the way that we have interaction and openness. Growing together. Growing together. I need to remember that I'm not the only person God is rebuilding in this house here. (laughs) And as in Nehemiah's day, when the whole wall was going up at once... There was a massive recovery project taking place right around the wall. As one part was going up, so was the whole wall going up. The Holy Spirit is not only restoring you, put your name to it. He is seeking to restore the people around you. And you have to let that happen. Because if we resist, the wall stops. Your wall stops too. You can't go solo. It goes together. And so therefore, my investment in my own spiritual maturity is also an investment in the people around me. And I hope we're tracking with this. And so would somebody say amen? Or I'm not sure if I'm getting through. Somebody say amen? Okay, I just, sometimes it's just like, hmm, I don't know the silence either. We're sleeping, we're, uh, but we're together. Now, this can be frightening. <laughs> it can be really frightening. If you're a super introversal person, 
<laughs> right? You say, no, I don't want people around me. I don't want them in my life. Um, and yet, and yet, there is such ability for your, the dreams that you have be linked to some people around you. Again, you don't have to be the most outgoing, talkative person. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with people's connection into my life and my connection into their life and together. And it's the principal, the principal group with whom you and I are involved. The Bible constantly refers to us as family, 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 family. Our brothers, our sisters in Christ. And really, it's a parallel to the building of the wall in Jerusalem on that day. There are those around you experiencing God's rebuilding program in the same way he's building you. We are not complete in and of ourselves. My being rebuilt is dependent on what God is doing in the person near me. So go ahead. Take a look at the person in the row in front. Just look at the back of their head. Okay? Now, if you're in the front row, you just have to look at mine. Okay? Um, Now go ahead and turn to the right, turn to the left. Okay? You see people around you? Okay? My point is your growth is dependent on their growth too. Your growth is dependent on that. That's what he's saying. I need your help for me to be complete. And you may need my help at times for impact and completion in your life. Not everybody contributes the same way at the same time. Some may seem more a liability. There are times we think a person, you know, sometimes you're doing a job and you wish they'd just get aside because you could do it much faster without them. But that only works for a small period of time. Long term, you need people. You need people around. Some reasons we don't, and I'm not going to go. I thought about this, and I actually deleted most of these because I thought, I don't want to spend time. But often, it's, most of them are around broken trusts in times past. And I'll just leave it there. Most of us have had that, where somebody has broken your trust. And so you have a hard time trusting again. If you have a parent, mom, dad, that has broken a trust, if they've gone through a separation, a divorce, it's going to be a challenge for you to really be open. If you've had a husband or wife do this, if you've had somebody close to you, if you've had a church, a pastor, a board, a brother and sister in the faith, then you are going to have a heightened challenge to trust again. We understand that. We get that. And I'm going to suggest it's probably the majority of us Because we call that life, unfortunately. Yes. And because of that, previous broken relationships challenge us into reestablishing new relationships. This is where we grow. We have to move past that. That's why forgiveness is central to everything in the faith. I need to release them and forgive that person and move on. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. I'm going to put the scripture up here. Ephesians 5, 21, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, that particular text, I'm going to turn there. If you have it in your Bibles, I want to show you something here. Because often we mishandle this scripture. Ephesians chapter 5, where it says in verse 21, it says here, Uh, Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do unto the Lord. Now, here's the part that I like to bring out. We often mistakenly flip those verses, and we think the submission has to do with the wives. You need to submit. 
But did you notice the submission happened before it talked about wives? It's not just about the wives. It actually said submit before it came to the wives. Then it talked about the wives later. It's not about the wives. It says here, submit. Between people. Between brothers and sisters, brothers and brothers, sisters and sisters. Submit to one another. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So note that part. Clothe yourself with humility. To be, humble yourself with the other person. They're going to humble you. Allow humility. Now the circle of this call is to those in the faith. In other words, you just don't submit to just anybody. There's a lot of people who will do you harm. The focus of this was in the faith. It calls for spiritual growth and trust within the community of the redeemed where relationships are healed and forgiven with those who honestly want to grow upward together in Christ. Now, the word submission, I come back to that word because I do weddings, and it's interesting. There's been a trend over the years. More and more people are, are asking when they come to the part submission, they want that taken out totally. <laughs> they want to just remove that word. Would you mind just... I don't want the word submission. Well, I went back and began to look because the idea of submission is somebody gets to wipe the dirty feet on me. That's kind of the idea. Somebody's going to wipe the dirty feet on me. So, no, I really prefer not to have that happen. Thank you. The word submission comes from a Greek word, hupotasso. The preposition hupo and the verb tasso technically means, technically means to place under. So, therefore, see, I told you, I'm to be a doormat, Right? But no, the verb meaning is not so severe. It means to freely, not forcefully be extracted. Freely allow yourself to serve. Allow yourself. It means to freely give, not forcefully extract. It means voluntary. It comes from an attitude of a right heart. It's a choice to love, and it's a choice to trust you. Even though you haven't fully proven trust, I choose to come alongside. Submission. Hupotasso. Actually, if you explore submission history, Greek culture, fundamental the idea of hupotasso relates to fixed positions of authority. It was basic, a military term describing the right arrangement for troops, structuring them in strategic relationship for the purpose of ensuring mutual protection for the collective victory. So, it's someone arranging the troops going into battle in such a way that they are able to look after each other to ensure all of them are going to come out of this battle alive. Strategically putting them in place. That's hupotassel. So that's, therefore, the person I'm fighting alongside with, I submit to that relationship. It's not just me and against them, because if I do that, we all go down. So therefore, when Paul is saying submit to one another, he's saying you need to open up to allow that relationship to be there. You have to invite that relationship. You take, the, you take the initiative in that relationship. Don't wait for it to come to you. You take initiative in that relationship. Scripture speaks a lot about life-to-life -life relationship with each other. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, From Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part, each part, does its work. Hupotassel. This is the idea, joining together in the body of faith. 
It's where we are knitted together in a supportive, healing fellowship. You and I, the person next to you, the one you saw in the back of the head, the one you saw near you, must come to a point at which we acknowledge that the completion of my growth involves my relationship with you. Hmm. To become rebuilt, we come to terms with the fact just as Jerusalem's wall could never have been completed unless they worked together. And therefore, chapter 3 of Nehemiah makes a lot of sense. All the names, all the villages, all the leaders, all the family members, together, the wall was built. Miraculously, the wall was built. There's something about this that I am only going to be put together through interrelationships with other members of the body of Christ as the Holy Spirit leads in relationship one to another. Healthy congregations open up to mutual dependence on one another. Jesus says not only that, not only will you see revival in your life, not only will you see God move and answer prayer in your life as you interrelate with others, he says you'll see something else. John chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus said, when you love one another, not just in word, indeed, when you love one another, the world is going to believe because it's so rare. The world will see it and go, what is it you're doing? Because they're watching that relationship work. As outsiders see the love shown and the mutual blessing realized by Christians growing together, they will say things like, I would love to be a part of something like that. These people really care about each other. And the world will want to know the reason of your faith. Time and again, Nehemiah chapter 3, it says, after him, next to him, the people were involved in building and repairing and rebuilding. Everyone together, the team together, they saw the fruit of their labors together. We come together. Here's, I just want to say straight, you know, brothers and sisters in the faith, if we're not in a community of believers, if we don't, in small clusters, in community, join with groups of brothers and sisters who are committed to growing in a caring relationship, then we can't fulfill what God has for you in your life. It's important. Don't avoid it for past hurts. Find healing in past hurts. We've all got, well, not all, but many of us have them. Although you may have experienced disappointing occasions with other believers, don't let that sour what God wants to do now in your life with others that God is placing around you. A few years back, I had a couple come up to me, and, and they were coming to the church, but they were always, they were always tentative, always tentative. And it seemed like you know they, they, they would get closer, and then they'd pull away and get close and pull away. And, and, and I remember them talking. We had a conversation, and they were... They weren't young, you know, they were up in years and, and just coming near the retirement. And they were saying, you know, Pastor, I really want to join. I really want to get involved. But two other occasions, we tried and it didn't go well. And we just can't, we just don't think we can do it again the third time. And my comment was simply, I don't know, except God will help you. You need to trust again. And this couple did. Uh, they got involved. They got involved in a small group, and they grew, and they flourished, and their family flourished. And I remember looking back and remembering that little conversation, that they were just on the brink of, I don't think I can, because I've been hurt, and I don't know if I can do it again. Two times before, I don't know if I can do it again. But you know, 
With God? With God? Watch what he will do. The enemy would say you can't do it. As Laurie said, there's a difference between fact and truth. The fact was, yeah, you got hurt two times. The truth is, is God not bigger than that? The truth is, can he not take you through this particular moment in time? And that did happen. Um, it was almost a year ago. Personally, I got involved in a, in a uh, cluster group. I called, they were actually called clusters. And so they're people, they're not part of this church. They're people from other uh, expressions. One's uh, um, is uh, a professor at a Bible college, another's pastor. And, and so we meet together. Uh, and I, I joined into that, and, and I'm kind of leading the group. And so one of the things I asked the group this past week we met, and I asked them, I said, what brought you to the point where you decided at this point in your life to join a cluster? And so, you know, we all fought. Um, and one was, he had just finished telling us a story where he almost quit. A week and a half before he almost quit. And he had just finished telling us the story around that and how it deeply, deeply wounded him. A brother and a sister in the faith, okay? Was, and very painful. He was a pastor. And he just almost quit. And he shared that. And he says, so he says, the big reason is because I can share that with you. And you're listening and you're hearing me. And he says, it makes all the difference. So that would be my, one of my big reasons. The other one had thought about it. And they came back and said, uh, although they have teams of people they work with, they want to have a different perspective because they're in the educational system. They want to have a different perspective. And by sitting with pastors and talking through, it's a whole different, the world has just opened up and it has become so invaluable. They go home thinking about stuff and growing and finding that in that they're growing in their own spiritual life. My answer to my own question was that previous, you know, years ago, I was part of these groups and, and there was, I was a part of ministerial and, and just my own personal story was uh, I was a chairman of a ministerial, a, a community of about a dozen pastors from different faiths and denominations, all followers of Jesus. And they were some of my closest friends. When I came here, I lost all that. I lost all that. And I looked around, who can I befriend? And it was really hard finding it. Virtually impossible. So when the opportunity came to have a cluster, I jumped at it and said, I need, especially coming out of COVID. Oh my goodness, right? Coming out of COVID, it's like, oh, I'm starved. I need to just have a group of people that we can connect at that level. So that was my story. And it was interesting, as we got home, emails popped back. And one of the emails came in and said, thank you for listening. It wasn't just about me. It was thank the group. Thank you, group, for listening. I shared, and I truly felt, you got it. You got what I was saying. Another saying, thank you for your input. I left, and I had so much to think about. And it's been on my prayer, ever, on my prayer list ever since. And some of those comments. And that's just a group I just joined just less than a year ago. I use that as illustration because all of us need to be part of something, something, and encourage you towards that end. So I close, I come back to this scripture, Ephesians 2, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Can I just pause there for a second? You ever wonder what that meant, foreigners and aliens? You know, like, did they come from another planet? You know, sometimes you wonder, what planet are you from, right? Did they come, foreigners, aliens, Ooh, 
you know, they got kind of spooky, foreigners and aliens. Second Chronicles chapter 2.17, Solomon got aliens, the Bible says, to build the temple. Now, we're not talking outer space people, all right? It's just the way they expressed it. These were people who were not one of them. They were a different culture, perhaps a different color, different language group. He had them build the house of worship together. Solomon, 2 Chronicles, you read of it. He had 153,600 of them. Foreigners and aliens. They call them foreigners and aliens. But they were simply people of a different culture, color, and language group. Working together. 156,600. Here's the cool thing. I did a cross-reference. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 6 and 7 later reports that aliens who turned to God became better than the sons and daughters and were promised everlasting inheritance with him. As the aliens and foreigners got involved, they dove in there and they became closer than your own brother and sister. Now, many of you can attest. I mean, I have two sisters, but there's people in this world I'm, I'm closer to, right? We're tight. Not that I don't like my sisters, but we've developed a relationship. We do life together. And so we're talking, and this is what they were saying. These people who were different than them became closer than their brothers and sisters. Praise God. That's God. That is God. And it says they became better than sons and daughters. So I go back to this. Consequently, you are no longer, you're no longer foreign and aliens, fellow citizens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together, the wall coming up together, being built to become a dwelling place in which the Spirit of God will dwell. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.